And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it is hard work being this good. I was like, ow. (laughs) (laughs) He sounded like a a big choo-choo train. We join The Jim Huber Show, already in progress. My name is, his name is, Hube. Jim Huber. His guest is, as Trump says, huge. Matt Doherty. Appreciate it. I'm glad we're doing this uh, through the phone lines and not in person. <laughs> Matt, get ready for this. This is going to blow you away. Here we, All right, here we go. Okay. Hey, Troy, our guest today is everything I've always wanted to be, but I'm not. Tall, good-looking, with a great head of hair. Hair of a god. Started alongside Michael Jordan, coached by the legendary Dean Smith, NCAA champion, head coach at Notre Dame, North Carolina, SMU, assistant coach at the University of Kansas. And did I mention his hair, Troy? You did mention the hair. Television analyst, NBA scout for the Indiana Pacers, Wall Street warrior, and the pride of Long Island. Everyone welcome Matt Doherty to the show today. Welcome, Matt. All that introduction confirms is that I have a hard time holding down a job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to do this, though, Coach. Back in the day, now I was like 23 years old. So you're at the University of Kansas. I remember working like Roy Williams camp, and you're you know one of the top assistants there. And I wanted to get into Division One coaching, and I was like, maybe you'll sit down with me and have lunch and uh, just give me some advice. You allowed me to come down to Lawrence and eat lunch with you and hang out, and you gave me advice and been just re- really just helpful and pleasant, and I sincerely appreciate that. Well, that, that means a, a lot that you would say that. You know, it's funny because we've all been there. You know, we've all been on the other side, and what seems trivial, um, you know, returning a phone call in a timely manner, uh, meeting someone for lunch, you know, basically giving of your time can make a significant impact on – a young player who looks up to a college player or a college player looks up to a pro player. And, you know, as, uh, what comes to mind now is, you know, passing a Moses Malone in, in the lives he touched, including Charles Barkley, you know, and, and, and Charles Barkley talks about him, you know, Moses Malone calling him a, a fat, lazy rookie <laughs> and, and, and how Moses, uh, Charles referred to him as dad. Um, because he really took him under his wing and taught him how to be more professional. I went to YouTube, and uh, i got to be honest with you, I, I, went, I went back to the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, 1983, and watched an entire game of you guys playing NC State. Why, why, why Troy, did you pick that game? I used to watch ACC ball all the time. It was always on TV. You guys were on, you know, you had Sam Perkins and you and Brad Doherty and Michael Jordan, a kid named Michael Jordan. So you were always on TV, and I was watching you guys, and I fell in love with NC State, man. When they went on that run, going back and watching it again was was unbelievable, unreal. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing one of the worst basketball players <laughs> in my career to the forefront of this interview. Hey, when you watch Survive in Advance, do you ever catch yourself watching that? I didn't watch Survive in Advance. I don't want to watch Survive in Advance. Why You're would trying I want to bring back Survive bad memories for the guy, Troy. I mean, you know, why, listen, why, I, 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 this is a true story. I'm doing uh, some interview. I worked for ESPN U a couple years ago, and Derek Wittenberg was uh, the, the guard from NC State. 
who was on that national championship team who put together Survive in Advance. It, it came out on a Sunday night, I believe. Monday, Derek and I in the office with uh, one of the producers, and Derek comes up and says, hey, did you see you know, the show last night? I'm like, hell no, I didn't see the show last <laughs> night. Like, Why do I want to watch something about the Miracle Run in 83 by NC State that really um, started with their win against us in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the ACC tournament. If they would have lost to us or Virginia in the finals, I think it was, of the ACC tournament, they wouldn't have wouldn't made, made the NCAA tournament. Yep. So, like, I, like Derek, why do I want to watch that? Can I can I bring back you know, can I bring a good memory into this coach? Yeah, yeah. 1982, thank you, thank you. 1982. They, now we're talking. National championship <laughs> now we're talking. against Georgetown, right? Now let let me ask you this: You played for the legendary Dean Smith. I mean, yeah. tell me what was it like to play for him? What what type of like leadership skills did you learn from Coach Smith? Yeah, he was just uh, really respected. I think I think if you had to say one word, respected. He was respected by his peers, uh, his players. Uh, the fans, um, you know, his, his coaching staff. I think everyone respected Coach Smith because he showed great respect to everyone else. And, um, you know, here's a man who coached uh, at the most competitive level of sport and never uttered a curse word. I, I don't know anybody who's ever heard Keith Smith curse. You know, I think that's tremendous discipline and a tremendous upbringing by his uh, mother and father in uh, in the state of Kansas. Playing with one of the great players of all time, Michael Jordan, what was that like and what, what did you, like his leadership qualities, what did he bring out of being that great of a player? Well, I think uh, the thing that always came out with Michael is he wanted to win. And, and he didn't care, you know, about leading the team and scoring. He just cared about winning and uh, – if that meant getting the open man, you know, as he did in the NBA, too, with, I think, Steve Kerr and, and, and maybe John Paxson, you know, he was willing to do that. Um, he, and I, I run a little camp right now here in Mooresville, North Carolina, and I was telling some of the players yesterday, you know, he wanted to get better. Um, you know, I think so many young players now are afraid to fail or embarrassed to fail. Michael wasn't embarrassed to make a mistake. He wasn't embarrassed to be coached. Um, he was excited to learn, uh, and he credits Dean Smith for teaching him the fundamentals of the game. Uh, and Michael, many times I would watch over on the side basket and working on his jab step because he was called for traveling a lot because he had such a quick first step. And, uh, you know, he would spend many many an, an hour before and after practice working on his jab series so he would keep his pivot foot down so the referees wouldn't call a walk. So fundamentally sound, so competitive and gifted and smart, you know, and, and you wrap that into one person and you get what probably is the best player ever to play the game. I interviewed uh, David Halberstam once, the writer, and he, he talked about Mike that when they would arrive at an airport, he would find the baggage person, and he would bribe the baggage person and say, hey, I want, I want you to make sure my bags come out first. And mm -hmm. then he would go bet his teammates on whose bag would come out first. He would take all their money. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't 
surprise me. <laughs> I, 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 one thing Michael's blessed with is uh, boundless energy, and I think that's a gift. Uh, and that comes from passion. You know, when you're passionate about what you're doing, it gives you a lot more energy. But he had more energy than most. And sometimes he was criticized for either playing golf on a day of a game or or uh, gambling the night before a game, uh, you know, to all hours in the morning in Atlantic City while they're playing the Knicks. But people don't understand the energy that he has. And I think a lot of the great players, uh, coaches, you know, businessmen have boundless energy, and that becomes contagious uh, to the people around them. Notre Dame is one of my favorite institutions, okay? Yeah. So I, I, I was at the Final Four. And I was in, I was in the, I uh, just got out of the shower and was watching the TV and all of a sudden as it comes on, down and out, down and out. And it's like Matt Doherty becomes a head coach at Notre Dame. I'm like, dun, 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 And I was all excited. Well, you go to Notre Dame and you knock it out of the park. They, they haven't won like 20 wins, I think, in like 10 years since Digger Phelps. And I was so pumped right. up. I, I was thrilled to be there. I, growing up Irish Catholic in New York, uh, I, I was a Notre Dame football and basketball fan. I love watching Kelly Trapuca and Adrian Dantley. And to then be, you know, the head coach at Notre Dame, I remember my mother um, and father coming to the press conference and my mother saying, you know, uh, I always wanted you to be a Catholic priest, but being the head coach at Notre Dame was a close second. And uh, so it, it was great. And I, I was planning on being there a long time. And. Bill Guthridge, you know, he, he retired, and uh, I guess the timing was surprising because it was in June. And uh, everyone and their mother thought Roy Williams was going to take the job. And uh, so yeah, I remember calling Coach Smith and, and asking Coach Smith, saying, hey, if Roy Williams, or, or I, I think I said, when Coach Williams takes the job, should I, you know, if Kansas calls, should I consider that or should I stay at Notre Dame? And he said, you know, it's a not a done deal yet with Roy. You're on the short list, and I like. Well, that's a no brainer. You know, like you know, if North Carolina is offering me a job, I'll, I would take it. And uh, fast forward like two weeks, and I'm sitting in Coach Smith's office, and um, he said, "Well, can you take the job?" And I said, "Well, Coach, I, gotta, I don't, this is big. You know, I got to talk to my wife." He's typical Coach Smith. He said, "Well, just." You know, two weeks ago, you told me it was a no-brainer. <laughs> and I said, two weeks ago, I didn't know I was a candidate. You know, I was only in Notre Dame nine months, and um, there is a special place in my heart for Notre Dame. I love Notre Dame. I love the student body there. Uh, I, I love what that institution stands for. Uh, and I'm a big Notre Dame fan. I, I watch their football games religiously, and, it was terrible news that Zaire got, uh, yeah, was sad. you know, broke his ankle. I mean, uh, golly. I hate to but, look at uh, that, too. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Mike Bray has done a tremendous job. Yeah, yes. And uh, I, I really, you know, love Notre Dame. But now, now yeah. you go to North Carolina and you have a, I mean, a great, great first year. I mean, coach of the year, you have a great season with your team. And then the next couple of years, it didn't go the way that probably you wanted. And the pressure that you dealt with there and the expectations, how, tell me how you learned through that experience and maybe how it's helped you become a better person and a better coach today. Yeah, well, first of all, I, um, I wrote out the script exactly how it played out. Um, when I was being interviewed for the job, 
I told the athletic director, I said, you know, we're going to be, because you know as a coach what's in the pipeline. Yeah. And, and I said, you know, I, I know my first year will be good. I told him, I said, my second year will be bad, and my third year will be rebuilding. And I, I asked him, I said, are you tough enough to get through that with me? And, you know, at that point, he said yes. And, you know, I think he felt like he had to have me because, you know, Roy Williams said no, and there was really no one else in the Carolina family that, you know, was able uh, or available to take the job. You know, so he said yes. Well, it turned out exactly my first year. We were ranked number one in the country. We won a co-champs of the ACC regular season, um, number two seed in the NCAA tournament, um, record 19 wins in a row. Um, and then my second year, we were 8-20. and 20. You know, I wasn't surprised at that. Other people were surprised. And then my third year, I'm starting three freshmen, two sophomores, and we uh, we start out unranked, quickly become ranked, beat a, a, a great Kansas team with Heinrich and uh, uh, Collison, Wayne Simeon in, in the garden <clears throat> in the preseason NIT, <clears throat> and end up being ranked 12th in the country around Christmas time, and then Sean May breaks his foot. Yeah. And now I have a six-six center, another freshman, and um, I think more there was more to it than just winning and losing, um, you know. And 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 that's the politics of major college athletics, and you know I had to deal with that. And there's many lessons to be learned. Uh, I think first and foremost, managing change, um, you know, and any CEO, head coach, principal. Um, takes over a new situation, you know, there's always some people are looking for change. Some people don't want change. Um, and when I took over at Notre Dame, people wanted change. They embraced change. Uh, they loved the changes we made. When I took over at North Carolina, they had so much success for so long and such a great tradition that they didn't embrace it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, whether that be, you know, repainting, you know, the office and putting up pictures, new pictures, fresh look to, um, you know, putting a new energy to the way guys practice, you know, holding players a little more accountable to, you know, they didn't, you know, and then then bringing in a new staff, that was very hard on a lot of people because no one on my staff besides me played at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, looking back, I would have managed that change better. Now, I also make this point. I got the job July 11th. And and you know, Jim, what happens in July's recruiting. Yep. So, you know, I was really under the gun to get out and recruit right away. Uh, and maybe I should have taken a little bit slower transition at that point and spent some more time with the secretarial staff and and the people in and around the program instead of, but the first day I was on the job, I, I felt I needed to go see Carmelo Anthony. And so I was in a tough spot getting a job in July um, and bringing my own staff. But, you know, I was told, it's your program, run it how you see fit. Um, but in essence, I probably should have um, managed the change a little bit uh, uh, in a different manner. 
Coach, uh, you were a great player in college. You played with – I try to explain to my son that college basketball then was better than college basketball now. He doesn't buy – he's 17. He knows everything. What's your son's name? Nick. Nick. Hey, Nick, you have no idea how good these teams were. Um, I played my last year starting five, Kenny Smith, Brad Darty, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins – all great NBA players. Yep. I mean, that were were juniors and seniors. Right. You know, nowadays Michael Jordan wouldn't make it past his freshman year. Yep. Sam Perkins wouldn't make his past freshman year. Brad Darty wouldn't have made it past. So we had not only great talent but mature talent. Um, and you know, there's no way that teams nowadays could compete could with hang. teams in the. 70s and 80s and early 90s, in my opinion. That's why it was so much fun to go back and watch that entire game on YouTube. I mean, it's all out there. And, you know, watching you in overtime, Coach, your help defense on Wittenberg when he was coming around for that. God, I, I got to get off the show, Coach. I'm telling you what. this is. Hey, you were not hey, helping. Terrible. Hey, would you stop bringing that stuff up with my friend Coach Doherty? Come on now. He, he drove a layup, and that was a big bucket. But I did have 15. Yeah, and uh, explain to and, him. And, and he had 28 against Clemson hey, the game you know, before. By the way, do you know Coach There you Jordan. go. Trying to help you out, Coach. You had 28 against Clemson the game before that. It was Doherty and Doherty killing it. Five of seven from the three-point line in that game, I might add. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, that's just details. Details, Troy. <laughs> not, not, not necessary to discuss at length on this podcast. You, mm-hmm. you talked about, like, leadership, and, and you, you talk about how it's a learned behavior. And yep. you mentioned a book, uh, Primal Leadership, and how great a book it is. I appreciate that, Jim. I'm looking at that book right now. Um, one of the things I did after I got let go at North Carolina, I, I'm, you know, I always want to get better. Um, I think as a player, as a coach, you know, as a human being, you know, you want to get better each day. And and so when I lost my job, I was like, okay, I want to get better. And and how can I get better? And a good friend of mine in business uh, recommended I take a class at the Darden School at UVA, and just a week-long business, you know, executive seminar. It's not like you have to apply. You just have to be able to afford the the, the, the mission, you know. And, and then I did the same thing at the Wharton School in Philadelphia. And uh, I was taking this class by uh, taught by Fran Johnston, who, who runs the Tilios Leadership Institute in Philly. And she was talking on this book, Primal Leadership, about emotional intelligence. Now, this was in 2003, so uh, 12 years ago, and I never knew of the term emotional intelligence, and now everyone kind of just refers to it as EI. Um, And as she was teaching this class, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have taken this class before I became a coach, Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, there's the art of coaching and the science of coaching, and the science of coaching is the X's and O's, and I, I felt very comfortable with that, um, which is, you know, I mean, game planning and making adjustments. But the art of coaching, when you're dealing with human beings who have emotions and feelings and and are different, you know, uh, everyone's different. And, and you could say one thing to, you know, player A and the same thing to player B, but player B takes it differently than player A. So, you know, understanding that, uh, how to communicate, with players um, individually and collectively uh, is an art, and, and it is a learned behavior. You can get better at that. 
So I learned, you know, things like body language, uh, tone. Communication is is 50% body language, 35% tone, and only 15% content. So it's the old saying, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And and so <clears throat> one thing I learned is I'm I'm tall, you know I'm big. As stupid as it sounds, I'm six seven. You know I'm talking to players and I'm looking down on them. That's intimidating. So they don't necessarily hear the message. They they may feel uncomfortable. Um, so you know a guy like Roy Williams, who's more like five eight, or Tom Izzo. You know if they're yelling at a player, they're yelling up. And, and, you know, that's different. It's not as threatening to a player. So things that I learned to do were kneel down more um, or, you know, in practice walk up behind the player and talk to him, you know, away from the team, behind his, his you know, over his shoulder so I'm not squared up to him. Uh, sit down in a chair more in practice. Uh, and that carries over to my home life, you know, with my kids. Uh, I don't want to tower over my kids when I'm talking to them. So I'd sit down and have a more gentle tone um, as opposed to, uh, you know, a louder tone. So, you know, it is a learned behavior, and it's exciting to me that you can learn to be a better leader, not only at your job, but the most important uh-huh. institution you lead is your family. Yeah. Coach, in, instead of being nicer, did you ever consider recruiting taller players? You know, that was a thing I tried to work on, but, you know, uh, didn't, didn't, always, didn't always happen. Well, speaking of being tall, I know you called me this past year about Willie Cully-Stein uh, before the draft and you know, being a scout with the Pacers. One, one thing I want to bring up in our conversation we've had is, you know, you, you talked to me about Willie's character and just trying to find out more in depth about him. And I, and I was with Willie for about a year and a half coaching him. But I, I want you to talk to individuals out there to understand, you know, we have, at camps we'll talk to kids about how important it is to treat the secretary, the bus driver, the lunch person, the custodian, um, and, and how all that stuff can affect your future, how people look in and talk to these people and find out about you. Well, it's, you know, there's no hiding now. Um, And and the biggest thing, the second biggest thing we do is gather intel um, with the Pacers. The the most important thing is, okay, can the guy play? You know, is he talented? And you check that box and it's, okay, is he the type of young man you want in your organization? Is he going to represent your organization properly? Is he going to be competitive? Is he going to be tough? Is he going to be a good teammate? Is he going to be coachable? Um, when he gets millions of dollars, is he going to continue to work? Or is he going to be going out to clubs and, you know, getting high and drinking beer and chasing women? And those are tough, you know, things to kind of predict when you're dealing with kids that are between 17 and 20 years old. Um, but those are the kind of questions we ask. And we have to ask multiple people because we want to make sure that the answers align. Our guest today is Matt Doherty, uh, scout for the Indiana Pacers, former head coach at North Carolina, SMU, uh, Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Notre Dame, no, no, Jim, no, sorry, on, sorry. Gosh, dang, start now, with that, all right, we got the trifecta. He's, uh, coach has been working on this all week, Matt, picking out the three questions for you. Here we go with the big trifecta. And from the corner, takes wow. the long one. Oh! 
All right, here we go. Coach. Okay. If you're on an island and you have one movie to watch for the remainder of your life, what is it? Whoa, one movie. You got to watch it over, over and, over and over and over. Oh, my gosh. Jim's, by the way, was Dumb and Dumber. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Remember the Titans. Come on now. Oh, gosh. Oh, probably, Caddy, probably Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Well, you got all of that. The crowd is standing on its feet here at Augusta. The normally reserved Augusta crowd. Going wild for this young Cinderella. He's coming out of nowhere. This kid from nowhere. This Dory yeah. coming out of Long Island. No one expected this. Yeah, that, that wasn't a great imitation, Troy, but nice try. Anyway, <laughs> He's just mad because I was an NC State fan back then. You started off yeah. wrong with oh, yeah. him. Hey, and you hey, keep coach. referring back to that. Then you went with yeah. her baseline yeah. on me. That's not nice. It was a cheap shot. Oh! First impressions, Troy, nice. so key. Hey, number two, Coach, if you had to recommend one book to change someone's life, what is it? Ooh, the Bible. Proverbs is powerful stuff. So I, I try to read Proverbs every day. Matter of fact, I'm, uh, there's this book by Boyd Bailey, Two Minutes in the Bible, and it's a 90-day devotional on just Proverbs. And based on those learnings, Coach, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for being an NC State fan. I'm going to ask forgiveness right now. That's forgiveness is the toughest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> but I'll accept. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. I'm glad Thank you, you read Proverbs. Thank you. Today. And the last question, Coach. Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you in your life? It might have been Bob McKillop, who is at Davidson now. Yep. And, uh, and uh, I played for him in high school. And I worked for him at Davidson. Uh, he's Steph Curry's college coach. Going into my senior year, being recruited by North Carolina, you know, I would ask him, you know, what do you think about this school? What do you think about that school? And then, you know, when I said, hey, you know, I think I want to go to North Carolina, I needed his stamp. And I think most kids need a stamp of approval from somebody. So when he kind of gave me his approval, like, hey, I think that's a good choice. Um, that's probably the best advice I got because that impacted my life in so many ways, positive ways, uh, by attending the University of North Carolina as a student-athlete. Hey, Coach, we, we definitely appreciate your time. But, like, our listeners out there, I know you said you have a camp in North Carolina. What's the best way that people can, you know, see your information or you know, ever get in contact with you? Where would they go? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm on Twitter, at Darty Matt, uh, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, um, M-A-T-T. You know, this is a small camp. It's first year I've done it. I did it about 10, 12 years ago here in Mooresville. I just want to get back in the gym. And I'm I'm just teaching things that I learned from Dean Smith and Roy Williams and observances and just trying to teach kids fundamentals. Uh, because, you know, if you can't shoot, you can't play. You know, if you can't pass, you can't play. If you can't dribble, you can't play. If you can't get in a defensive stance, you can't play. I mean, and, and so control the things you can control, and, and those are all things you can learn. And uh, we have four more sessions before I get ready to go to training camp in Indianapolis. The coach who's organizing it, his name is Nathan Johnston. Uh, Nathan's phone number, 704-975-3620. You can call or text Nathan and join us either one session or all four we don't care well coach i'm i'm rooting for you I, I i appreciate you being on and like i said you've always meant a lot to me for everything you've done just reaching out and helping me hey thanks jim and and i'm sorry you got such a freaking 
So, dead weight as your sidekick there. It's one thing, like, I can understand even the Duke thing. Like, you know, I mean, Duke is... But, like, NC State, that even cut more to the core than if you said he was a Duke fan. Because everyone's jumped on... Like, that really hurt. I well, mean, he's kind of like, hey, Coach, when I brought him in the show, it's almost bringing in the water boy. I mean, his <laughs> yeah. mom and dad called me and asked if I'd do him a favor, and I'm just like, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll do it. High I'll quality H2O. No, listen, I love yeah. Jimmy V. You got to give me. I, no, I no, no, no. Hey, Troy, Troy, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking <laughs> to you. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Turn, turn his mic off. Take the jack out of the, the machine. <laughs> something. Well, I mean, Troy. Troy, Troy. It's just I fell in love with that team. I'm sorry. It's like you're falling over the woman. Yeah, you are sorry. Woman. You are sorry. You're glad you finally admitted it. I'm out. Head coach, Jim Huber. Hey, this is one old podcast with Jim by himself on the Breakthrough Basketball Radio Network.